Steve and Sandra Long, everybody. Let's, let's stretch out a hand to Steve. I'm so thankful for the incredible gift of apostolic leadership that you placed on this man and the encouragement and the help that he's given to me, to us and to what you're doing in this community. I pray as he speaks this morning that he would love it and that this would be a joy to his heart and we open our lives to your voice Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus and bring grace and truth like a two-edged sword. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Who had less than three hours sleep? There's a few people. Okay, great. Did the kids do okay in the tents? Were they... The mums are sleeping right now. (laughs) Anyways. Camping is, uh, is fun, but it's not... I don't think it's designed by the Lord to be eternal. Remember, Israel had 40 years, and uh, most of them didn't live through. Anyways, I don't know what that means. Yeah, our church, we had, uh, every summer for a long time, we had a week of, uh, we called it family camp, and we went to uh, a facility that had, you could put tents up, you could bring a trailer, but they also had the permanent trailers that are just there year round. And then they had cabins that you could rent. There was a really bad little motel kind of brick building you could have. And we had, uh, everyone is eating together. So we had this big dining room and we had a, uh, a nice chapel area to be able to do stuff. And the beach was maybe a 10 minute drive away. And so that was the highlight every afternoon. Everyone just go to the beach and, and have fun. And it was just a, a really special time. It was one of the first places that Sandra and I really began to have encounters with the Holy Spirit. Because at uh, at something like this, you're you're sort of guarded down a little bit. You don't have to pretend to be uh, at your best. You're allowed to be who you are. And when God finds you vulnerable, He finds you. So this is a good deal. Yep. Uh, Thank you, James, for having all the clergy stand up. This talk I'm going to give is not for the clergy. Who's not clergy? Wave your hands. Perfect. All right. Can I just do a little, how many of you are a manager of people? There's people that serve under you in some sort of capacity in your workplace. Perfect. Good. How many of you have your own business? Hands up. Perfect. This talks definitely for you folks. Uh, when, when I became the senior leader, when Sandra and I became the senior leaders of our church, it was like, okay, God, like we're going to carry on in the legacy of John and Carol. We're gonna. This is their church until they die, so it's not ever gonna be our church. Uh, but what's sort of the what's the specialty of Catch the Fire under the leadership of Stephen Sandra? And I felt the Holy Spirit say two things that I had no experience in, and that was that our church was to be really good at helping business people be better, and to help politicians be better. And so those are two things that have happened. So we have in the area of politics, we've had people that became members of parliament from our church, members of provincial parliament. In fact, the, the girl who became, who's the youngest girl to be elected as a member of provincial parliament, got born again in our church when she was 19. Uh, we've had mayors. We, cur- we currently have a, a former member of our church who's a, a deputy mayor in his, his town, city councilors, school board, all of those kind of things. Uh, several years ago, we had two of our pastoral team step away from, they took a sabbatical from being at our church uh, to run for politics. And so it's, some, it's one of the things that we've encouraged people to get involved in, in if you have a call of God, because uh, followers of Jesus can be salt and light in politics. And I'm gonna suggest that in your nation, you need salt and light in your politics, correct? So it's something that we've encouraged. We've had small groups that are led by politicians and. Uh, people who've been elected just helping others be mentored and those kind of things and I would say the stronger area right now is for business people and we're doing all sorts of different kind of practical things to help entrepreneurs be better entrepreneurs helping people be coached in uh, making money uh, 
for the kingdom and being able to pour money back in to be able to hire more people and staff and all those different kind of things. We just did a series two Saturdays ago. We had four talks from one of the bankers in our church, or ex-bankers. And this guy's company, uh, so he went, he, he was, Garth's his name, 28 years of age, he became the youngest ever vice president of Citibank in New York City. Promptly got drunk that night because he'd already accomplished his life's goal at age 28. That's like, oh boy, now what? And he found Jesus in his 40s and became uh, transferred to one of the Canadian banks. And when he's about 50, decided to start his own investment banking firm, venture capital. And so he's he's got lots of money that isn't his that he manages on other people's behalf. And one of the things that he is absolutely convinced on is that those of you that have a non-clerical role, that you are called to what you are doing, and that you need to see yourself as called to those uh, things that you're doing, whether it's the teaching, it's media, uh, business, whatever those things are, that God has you there. In fact, there's a, part, a portion of a chapter in Ephesians and Colossians where Paul talks about managers, people who run businesses. He talks about employees. Now, the words that are used for employees in the New Testament is slaves, but that's all right. Uh, it's talking about people who manage other people and those who are under other people. And so the Bible talks about these kind of things. And here's what I found out, friends. Almost every personality, especially in the Old Testament, that's talked about, were not clergy. Especially in the Old Testament. All the, the heroes that we have were people who had other roles, had other positions, and God used them in that role to be a blessing and to help the kingdom of God, help the nation of Israel, help whatever nation they were in. I, I admire someone like Daniel, who is a mystic. He got invited into the Harry Potter school of um, mysticism when he's a teenager. Remember, Israel's having their worst season, 70 years of slavery, and he's he's found out that he's a, he's a seer. And so their equivalent is, well, everyone who sees joins this group over here and you're going to be mentored. And you remember that very quickly he rises in that area, in that genre, and he begins to have influence. In fact, he gets to the top job in three different kingdoms to be the advisor for the king in three different uh, places. And I love that. I, I happen to be, Sandra and I happen to be advisors for business people in our church. Uh, I, when I'm talking to a secular person on an airplane or wherever I'm at, and they say, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm a coach. Uh, and that is what I am. Uh, well, what do you do? Well, I help business leaders make better decisions. Ooh, that's a good job. How do you do that? And it's easy. I help them deal with hard issues, deal with pain, hear from God to be able to make better decisions. And I've had some really good conversations just starting out by talking about that. And friends, can I say that the Holy Spirit wants to help every single person make better decisions. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is all about you being led by the Spirit in whatever role you have, whatever, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're an executive, whether you're a banker, principal, whatever role you have, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be actively part of your day. Say, I agree, uh, yeah, oh, that sounds weird. Yep, yep, okay, got it. Uh, the challenge is when we're having a busy day, most of us don't have long periods of time to just sort of back up and say, Holy Spirit, what do I do? And so it's sort of on the run, isn't it? It's like while we're, while we're engaged in a problem, someone comes into your office with a problem and you've got to make a decision fairly quickly, uh, you probably don't have time to just say, close the door, let's, let's get on our knees and pray. You, you probably don't do that. I don't do that. But it's quickly being able to hear from the Holy Spirit. What is the action? What do we do? That kind of stuff. And it's a, it's a skill set to learn. And it's one of those things that there are role models in the scriptures. And so I'm going to look at the guy who's called Nehemiah. And we're going to talk about him today. And gonna, I think there may be some notes on the screen. If not, don't worry about it. Because uh, I got them. But Nehemiah is one of these uh, amazing things. So the topic for this morning is what are the kind of personal characteristics do I need to have 
to be led by the Spirit so that when there's opportunities for me to have breakthroughs, advancement, uh, move forward in my career, whatever those things are, how do I lean on the Spirit? What, what do I need to do? And so we're going to talk about two things today. We're going to talk about your character, uh, integrity issues. We're going to talk about prayer and being able to have a communication with the Holy Spirit. So that's the, the two things we're going to look at. Nehemiah is a very interesting guy. In those 70 years where Israel is slaves in another nation, and most of them have been moved out of Israel into another uh, landmass, and people who have been conquered by the Babylonians in other areas have been moved into Israel. And so they're, the Babylonians are pretty smart. They, the idea is instead of having all of Israel moved over here so that they can gather and become a rebellion, is divide them up, scatter them, scatter all the nations around, and so no one's ever feeling that they're strong enough to be able to rebel. So in these 70 years, we have some very interesting people that are talked about in the scriptures. <coughs> we have a whole book about a guy named Ezra, whose call of God in slavery is to go back to Israel and to reestablish worship. We have a guy named Zerubbabel, whose uh, commission from the Lord is about rebuilding the temple. We have a guy named Nehemiah, who's a cupbearer. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And he's got a, uh, a place of extreme trust and how God puts on his heart that he's to go back and rebuild the walls. He's not a clergy. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy, but he's got incredible skill sets. And friends, if you've read the book of Nehemiah, you will notice that there's not one divine intervention in the book. There's no stories of healings. No stories of miracles. This is a guy who is led by the Spirit of God. He has strength of character. He has perseverance. He has favor in his life. He is, if I could say it, doing all the stuff that we're supposed to be doing when a miracle doesn't happen. And I love when miracles happen. Uh, the little tease that uh, our hosts, uh, who was it BBC News that was up here at the beginning, two Ronnies. Now there used to be a TV show about the two Ronnies. That's not those two Ronnies. Those guys were funny. Those uh, two, the two Ronnies. Some of you younger ones have no clue what I'm talking about right now. Anyways, they talked about, I did leave one of my medications at home by accident. I brought the empty bottle, not the full bottle that I just got from the pharmacy. And I did go through Brambles that uh, was led by James and Lou, the shortcut to get to uh, someone's house for the staff meeting and uh, got a few scratches and I'm gonna I'm going to go to the pharmacy I remember from the last time we were staying at Mike and Evelyn's house and there's a pharmacy just around the corner just off of the main street I think it is high street is it a high street what do you call it kind of a high street uh, so I'm gonna go in and Mike and Evelyn and James and Lou are basically pessimists uh, you, you, you won't be able to get medication unless you get a doctor's prescription and it's complicated to get pills when you've lost, you know, you're out of country. And I just smiled at both of them and said, well, you don't know the favor that I walk in. <laughs> and I walked in expecting, and five minutes later, I'm out with my pills. <laughs> Not only that, but it, it would appear that, because James came in to just sort of like, really, you got them? And the pharmacist girl in Ashington, the lady who's running that, uh, She's going, like when she found out I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor, she goes, well, could you pray because I'm 100 packets of these short for people who need that pill. And I got the pills, not one of the 100 people on her list. Uh-huh. 100 arrived the next day. Isn't that amazing? Very good, because we, we prayed in agreement. I took her in flowers at the end of the day, say, say thank you for looking after me so much. It was James's idea. I was, was, was going to buy her chocolate, and James no flowers is better. <laughs> so anyways, I love that kind of stuff. So if, if I go back there to, uh, today, maybe, I'll just stop in and see if she's working on a Saturday. But like... She's going to remember this pastor from Canada that prayed for 100 boxes of pills that she's on back order. And they showed up. And it's almost like the widow with Elijah. Remember she gave the last bread to Elijah? 
and gave I got that last box of the pills and it's all of a sudden they multiplied. Yay! <laughs> so Nehemiah to me is is one of these guys who just is accomplishing the purposes and plans of God as a non-clergy. And I don't know if you feel that clergy are better at hearing from God. They're not supposed to be better. They're supposed to be as good as everyone else. They're supposed to be motivators, and so clergy are supposed to have stories to be able to inspire and to motivate. And so why do bad things happen to clergy often? It's so that we have a story of breakthroughs. So that we, you know, we, we have all these kind of things. And I love that. I'm, uh, I'm 66. I got to stand for the seniors call last night. Uh, but the longer you live, the, the more stories you have. And hopefully they're God stories. Yep. If I was to get to say, who has a story of some sort of God encounter this week, how many of you could put your hand up and go, I got one of those stories? God encounter this week. So look around. Okay. So a whole bunch of you need to have something go wrong uh, so that there can be a redemptive breakthrough. Not necessarily go wrong, but just an opportunity for God to do something. Yep. So we're going to look at, uh, quickly look at Nehemiah and just go through. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the aspect of him being a person who's, who's a, communicates with God. Prayer. I don't even want to say, like it is prayer. It's talking to God, but it's, it's really the idea of he's in flow. He's in communication that when there's a challenge comes up, his fallback is, God, what do I do in this situation? So if you remember, he's serving the king. He's a cupbearer. And he's hearing that the city of Jerusalem, where he's from, where his ancestors are from, probably not him from there, but his ancestors from there. And he's grieved. And the Bible says that he spent some time, he's praying, he's fasting. He's, he's just really has a call of God for this city that he's probably never been to in his life. But it's the, it's the capital of the nation of Israel. And there's something that God puts on his heart for this city. It's in ruins, the Bible says. Nehemiah 1 verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept, and for some days I mourned and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, I don't think that he's thinking God's going to use me in any dramatic way. He's just carrying something that God's put on his heart. He's grieving about his nation. Uh, I think generally it's people that are choosing to be close to God that get those kind of thoughts. People who don't give time to God usually don't get God thoughts as, as often. And then God speaks to him and begins to give him a strategy for how to begin the process of them, nation of Israel going back. And the strategy for him is that somebody needs to repent. Somebody needs to break generational curses. Someone needs to ask for forgiveness for the sins that his parents or grandparents did that got them into the slavery. And I find it fascinating that Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel, all living in three very different parts of the nation, scattered, not together, maybe never heard of each other, that all three of these people have a similar call in their life, and that is that someone needs to say, God, I'm speaking on behalf of my ancestors who are sorry for the sins that our grandparents did, our parents did, that got us into slavery. And so you have a few verses where Nehemiah is taking personal responsibility for the things that have gone wrong in his nation. And can I suggest, friends, that that's kind of the prayers that you can pray on behalf of Britain every so often. If you're from Scotland or Ireland or wherever you're from, from another nation, if there's things that you're recognizing aren't going well, you can begin to say, Father, uh, if I was... If I was living at that time, I probably would have made the same decisions. I probably would have been just like those people. And, Father, it's not right. It's not right the situation we're living in. Would you forgive us? And so that's the first prayer that we see about uh, for Nehemiah. And then he gets to the place where, in the grieving, in the thinking about his nation, he walks into the, the courtroom one day, the king's presence, and the king says, uh, like, you're, like, you seem down today. You're, you're not at your best today. Usually you're smiling. Whatever it is, the king noticed something different. What's on your heart? And the Bible says this in Nehemiah chapter uh, 2, verse 8. The king said to me, what is it you want? 
And then I prayed to the God of heaven. I'm sure that that prayer, that's chapter 2, verse 4, is a very quick little prayer. God help me. That's probably all it was. It's like Peter when he's drowning. Remember, he's trying to walk in the water, and then he's down underneath the water. His prayer is not recorded in the scripture, but it's bold. Because there's water. Yep, he's underneath the water. So it's probably just help. And God spoke and gave him favor. And because of the gracious hand of my, that my God was upon me, the king granted me my request. That's verse 8. So in that, in that moment that he's probably not anticipating that the king is going to say anything about him, he's there to serve, and the king goes, like you look down today, what's, what's, what's going on? And right at that moment, is a, he's sensing this is an opportunity, and he has a quick little, God help me, and, well, I'm concerned about my city. Oh, well, if you had the opportunity of doing something about it, what would you do? And friends, I love this. Nehemiah has a plan, and he shares the plan. What, and then the king says, well, what do you need to do that plan? Well, here's what I need. I need visas across borders. I need lumber. I need a security team. I need, and he just lists all the things he is prepared for that moment. Would you agree with me? When the king says, what do you want? He's got his list. He's been praying it through. He's been thinking it. God's been dropping ideas of what he should do. And he's ready to go. I love that. And so when he just, he's, he asked for favor, that little prayer, God give me favor. And in the summary, he says, God gave me favor. The king responded to my checklist of what I need and said, do. The king says, like, how long is this going to take? And he says, well, could you give me two years off, two years sabbatical to be able to go back and do this? And the king goes, done. Everything that he asked for, he got. Those of you in business, you, you need this kind of favor. You need this kind of uh, being led by the spirit very, very quickly. Going back to my friend Garth, the banker, investment banker guy. Uh, Garth told me... Uh, not just told me, but two Saturdays ago, we had a, uh, a four half hour talks lecture that he's doing plus questions and, and just people being called to business, called to make money, uh, all that kind of stuff. By the way, Jesus affirmed people to make money. Are you aware of that? How many, did, how many would like to know a Bible verse where you are okay to double your assets every year? Okay. So the, remember the story where Jesus said there was a, a rich man, a king, and he gives talents and gave five to one, two to another one, one to one according to their abilities. And so people with higher skills got more trusted to them. People with lower skills had less trusted. It wasn't going to be overwhelming for them. And when he comes back, the guy who had five had now made ten. He doubled, hadn't he? And what was the Lord's greeting for that person? Well done. So those of you who called in business to make money for yourself, for your family, create jobs for your economy, well done. You're doing, Jesus says to you, well done. That's part of kingdom right there, is uh, give people a job. Remember in the book of Proverbs, big deal is to work hard, have a job, work hard. And what happened to the person who did nothing with the, the assets that they were given? You're an evil person, the Bible says. Jesus said that, called that person wicked. So just want to affirm those of you in business, you're supposed to be blessed. You're supposed to be used by God to be a blessing for yourself, your family, for others. Anyways, where was I before I went on that? So I, I, you know, Garth. So Garth was telling people that he would have 300 uh, pitches a year. Remember, he's an investment banker. He's got money, and he's going to put millions, tens of millions, into projects. And so he gets 300 asks a year scheduled all through his year, all through his calendar. 300 different groups are coming to him to say, we'd like you to fund our project. And he's talking about that, that he would pick three out of those 300. And how does he go about picking three out of 300? And everyone's like, okay, <laughs> what's the answer? And it's, it's fascinating, but Garth said that he would have his, have his uh, he doesn't even choose who's on the list. He just knows that tomorrow I'm meeting three different groups for a pitch. And he has the sort of the agenda for the day is given to him in advance 
all the different people, companies that he's going to be meeting. And he and his wife, Mary, I think they get up at like five in the morning and they spend an hour. They have a little room in their house where they go and pray. And he prays through the agenda, every meeting that he's going to have. And he's Holy Spirit. What's the backstory? What's the motivation? What are the questions that I need to ask to be able to know if this is a good investment or not? And he just, he just spends time with the Lord going through his, his schedule. And God gives him insights. And this guy, the reason he's very, very wealthy is because he's, he's got it right more times than not. Uh, he was telling everyone, one of his favorite ones is when someone comes in and just gives a list of all their successes and we started this company and we did really well, we did uh, a 10X on this and that, you know, he's just, the, the people are going through all the stuff and Garth will nicely say, so have you had any setbacks? Oh, we are so good, we are so talented, we are so smart, we've had no setbacks and uh, we'd like to have, you know, whatever, $100 million from your company. And he goes, no thank you, the door's over there. And they're like, what, why? And then he, he was telling everyone, I heard him say this in a secular seminar, and he goes, do you know why I say no to people who are successful? Bible says, this was the only Bible passage that he quotes, the Bible says, pride goes before a fall. And he says, I don't want to invest when you go down. And everyone's like, oh my goodness. In that secular environment where Garth was talking to business people, that was the only Bible verse that he quoted as a Christian. And somehow everyone already knew that verse. It's a famous verse, isn't it? It's a secular verse. People don't even know it comes from the Bible. Friends, this is how Nehemiah is living. He's just these quick little, what do I do? And God is inspiring him, giving him plans ahead of time. He's just, he thinks maybe I'm daydreaming. Well, what would I do if, if I had the opportunity? Well, I'd probably do this, probably do this, probably do this. And lo and behold, the opportunity comes and it goes from a probably to have become. Another passage for you. Do you remember when opposition came? A guy named Senballat begins to threaten, begins to uh, gather a group to, to attack. And the Bible says this, these people, they're very angry. They all plotted to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. God speaks to him and gives him a strategy. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Friends, can I encourage those of you that are not, not clergy, clergy are paid to pray. Those of you that are non-clergy, this, uh, this should be a hobby. This should be a, a discipline. Is your day will be more successful, I believe, if you're led by the Spirit. That just sort of makes sense, doesn't it? If you can have God ideas all day long, you're probably going to make better decisions all day long. When you have prophetic ministry, when you're looking for answers, you've got a big decision to make. I hope that you lean in on people in your, in your church community that are gifted in these kind of things, that you go to the seers, you go to the prophets, and say, I need to make a decision. You don't even have to give them all the details. Just begin to lean on these kind of people for help. Ask God's help in these endeavors. And friends, Nehemiah was a guy whose <laughs> God used him to do something in 52 days that no one had done in 70 years. In 52 days, that wall is rebuilt. And the strategy is simple. Everyone who lives here, you build the wall from here to here, uh, where, your, where your fence line used to be. You're in charge of that. And by the way, if you don't do it well, that'll be where the enemy attacks, the weak point. So probably do it well. And everyone's uh-huh, yes, yes. Well, this will be the strongest part of the wall right here because my family's living behind the wall. It's a simple strategy. And yet it inspired people. And in 52 days, he did what no one who was an engineer, no one who was the governor, because there was governors still in Israel, no one was able to do what he did. And he doesn't have a title. He's a cupbearer. And he became the governor because of his godly leadership. He was placed as the governor. He never did go back. He became the guy that's ruling the nation during that, during that season. And friends, that's, that's you. Uh, everyone who's not clergy, please stand. <laughs> clergy, right now, you are the prayer team. <laughs> Those of you that stood earlier as clergy, I'd, I'd like you just to move around the seats real, real, real quickly.
and just lay hands on people for maybe like five seconds, just walk around. And Father, I'm blessing everyone in this room right now. There's moms in this room that are stay-home moms and are thinking about what are they going to do when the kids go to school. Maybe I could start a little business. What can I do to fill a couple hours a day while the kids are napping? And there's some of you that are are thinking you're, you're already in business and you're thinking of starting your own business and working for yourself. Father, may the dreams begin to come. May the ideas begin to come. May the strategies begin to come. Those of you that already have your business, Father, may the game plan come for expansion, for multiplication, from going from just you to you hiring a staff person, an assistant. Those of you that have a little company and three or four people, I talked to one guy last night and said at one point he had 50 people working for him. And Father, those who have many people working for them, you're the boss, you're the leader. Father, may there be godly wisdom that comes from managing, for directing, for investment. May, may every person in this group, Father, be led by the Spirit. And Father, I thank you that as we're led by the Spirit, breakthroughs come for our personal family. Often more income can be generated by success in business. Success as a school teacher, we get a promotion. We go to be the vice principal, we go to be the principal, we go to be whatever those things are. Those of you in media, marketing, Father, I'm asking that ideas would come, godly wisdom would come, God thoughts would come, for what would I do if, and they, when the favor comes, when the opportunities come, and a boss says, well, I'd like your idea on this. Father, I thank you for those days. May there be boldness, may there be confidence to step out and say, well, I've been praying about this. I don't know if you know this, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I felt that he gave me a dream a couple nights ago about this, 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 and this. And may you shine. Father, I'm asking that your reputation in your place of work is such that you will be called upon. Friends, here's what I know in our church environment is that people of bad character don't get called on to make decisions. People who have a history of lying, cheating, don't get called upon for expansion ideas. They're overlooked. And so, Father, I'm asking that the reputation that these people have, whether they've stated it out loud that they're a follower of Jesus or where people just think, well, that's a really nice lady, that's a really nice guy. But, Father, may, may there be depth in these people. May others see something unique, something different. Spirit of God, may there be an anointing on all these men and women that are standing right now. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May be seated. Second part, I'm going to talk about that very thing about character and integrity. And just a couple things from the life of Nehemiah in this one. Sorry, I didn't give you my conclusion. Why do we pray? <laughs> Let me back up. I wrote down three things. Prayer connects you to the problem, the challenge, the people, and the circumstances. So when there's stuff comes up, prayer helps you to have empathy, helps you to have compassion, helps you to be able to get God's perspective on all of those things that are around you. And often when we don't pray about something, we, we don't have God's heart on that. And then our decision is going to be perhaps a more selfish decision than a God decision, than a kingdom decision. So the, the, for you pausing, saying, God, what do I need to know? You connect with God's answer, which is going to be better than your answer. Number two, prayer causes us to slow down. James talked about that, that this weekend is a little bit of a slowdown. And it's an opportunity as you're slowing yourself down. If you remember, the Bible says, uh, be still and know God. When you're quiet, you have a better ability to discern what, the, what God's wanting to say to you. When you're running around, uh, chasing kids, uh, solving problems, uh, you don't always have the opportunity to hear God at those moments because you're, you're distracted. You're very focused on 
on solving something. And when we slow down, which is called prayer, God, what do we do? All of a sudden, God's strategies come just a little bit better. And number three, prayer pushes us into action. Prayer causes people to become advocates, activists, leaders. I love in your nation, we had a discussion at one of the meetings we were at, and one of the intern girls was just talking about something, and we got to talk about Wilberforce. And I don't think that she knew exactly who Wilberforce was, but he was a guy who was elected to British Parliament, am I correct on that? And had a long tenure. And I think from the first time that he brought up the topic of slavery in Parliament to when your nation voted to abolish slavery, I believe was 30 years. 30 years. Like if, if your government lasts, if it's a majority government, it goes maximum five years at a time, is that correct? So five to, you know, divided by, sorry, 30 divided by five, please help me, six? Six minimum different governments and potentially different prime ministers. And this passion that God gave this man, this white man, to help primarily black people and colored people, clearly was a God call in his life. And he persevered. He did not give up on that one. Correct? Well, how did that come? I'm going to guess it came from an observation. It came from an experience. It came from, I'm going to guess it came from prayer. We were just, uh, when we were, where were we? Uh, Thursday, we went to Chartwell, to Winston Churchill's uh, house, former house. And it's clear in the, in the museum, if you walk around the museum, it, it doesn't hide this, that he felt that he had a God calling in his teenage years, that there was going to be a season that he would be God's answer for a problem in Britain. And he was like 17, I think it was. 60 years, member of parliament. That's a long run. Like, that's the record, I think, in the UK. 60 years, Winston Churchill. And he had a fine hour. <laughs> Uh, to talk, you know, steal it from one of his speeches. This is Britain's finest hour. Well, why was it Britain's finest hour? Because a person who was led by the Spirit, even if he wasn't actively following God, God can use people that aren't following him, but have a call of God in their life and recognize that, that there's waves of the Spirit that move people. And Winston Churchill was the right place at the right time. That could be you, friends. That could be you. Yep. All right. So back to Nehemiah and talking about integrity. So he's the king's cupbearer, it says, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. And friends, a cupbearer is not a sommelier. How many of you like to drink nice wine? More than the 10-pound stuff? Yep. I am not in this category. Uh, I don't drink a lot of wine. I have had really good wine, and I've had bad wine, and they sort of taste the same to me. <laughs> I acknowledge there are things that I like a little bit better than others, but that's probably just you know, me tasting and not knowing well enough. One of our pastors that now started Kept's Far Auckland in New Zealand, and she's a wine sommelier, <coughs> took courses, and I can remember at our pastoral meetings if we're having a meal at someone's house and someone's got wine, they would hide the label, they'd just pour some wine and say, you know, where, what kind is this and where is it from? And it was shocking how good she was at being able to figure out the smells and how it uh, legs and all these kind of words. Uh, that's not who Nehemiah is, people. You don't get to be the king's cupbearer by being a good person with wine. Sandra and I were on a cruise from Barcelona to Miami. And if you've been on cruises and you go to the, who's been on a cruise? Okay, a few people, the godly ones, thank you. That's Sanders and I favorite vacation because you do nothing. You do nothing. Someone makes your bed twice a day. Uh, you get to uh, eat when you want. You get to do what you want. It's, uh, it's actually quite good. It, it helps Sandra and I. And I use, I use uh, cruises that are crossing an ocean to write books. And the Canadian government's very, very generous that if you spend six hours a day on a, doing research for a project, like 
writing a drama, writing a, a movie script, those kind of things, uh, you can write off the expenses of your cruise. So that's what I do on those long cruises. <laughs> Canadian government pay for two of my cruises. Sandra has to pay for her part, but I get mine for you. So, uh, if you've been in the dining room, you have a set table for the most part, and you, you now may be sitting at a table with people you've never met before, or if you're sitting for two, there may be, there may be like a hand's width between your table and someone else's table, and you're basically at the same table. And Sandra and I had that where we were sort of by ourselves, no real other tables close to us, but from here to the speaker away, was another table and they were all by themselves and so you just naturally start chatting and talking. This was a 13, 14 day cruise and eight days were on the Atlantic crossing like all at sea and it was amazing. Uh, anyways, this couple are wine sommeliers. He's telling the Filipino steward who is smart in wine. Like they're, they're talking stuff and I have no clue, it's a different world that these guys are in, where we're thinking of having uh, the pumpkin soup. What would go well with pumpkin soup? And I'm going, beer. I think beer. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they're, they're just calling out you know, countries and labels, and it's just another whole world. They had a thousand bottles, this couple, in their own wine cellar. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, that's not who Nehemiah is. <laughs> It's a great story. Thank you so much. I think I've got two bottles in my house, maybe three. <laughs> and they were all gifts, that's correct. Beer, yes, beer is my preferential. Uh, if you need a little extra spice in a beverage, that's it. This job is all about trust. This has to be a person of impeccable integrity and character to be the wine taster, the food taster for the king. Uh, you don't get this, again, by being a chef. This is a person that has proven their trust somehow and moved up the line. And to have someone who's not Babylonian be caring for the king, looking after all his food to make sure that it's okay to eat, uh, eating it a half an hour beforehand or whatever that timeline is, uh, this is an, impec an impeccable person. So we know that about Nehemiah. And the Bible says, when the king says, what do you want and how long is it going to be? Like what kind of king begins to open up to a servant and entrust them with money, with staff, with the resources of that nation to go and rebuild a wall of another kingdom? What kind of king does that? Well, a king that values this person's opinion. And friends, those of you that are number twos in your work, you're the assistant, you're, the, you're not the top person. Can I say, you've got incredible favor. Your leader, your boss, your manager, once they begin to realize that you're a person of substance, get ready for them to seek out your opinion. Some of you already, already know that and experienced that. To, to have... Uh, a sounding board, a boss to have a sounding board, and it's you, friends, that's a, a reflection of Jesus in you. And if you begin to have wisdom that flows because you're hearing God and getting God ideas, even better. And friends, Britain needs people like that. It needs people that aren't necessarily the boss, aren't the top dog, as it were, but solid, have a relationship with God, can speak into morality, can speak into ethics, those kind of things. God's looking for people like that. And this is who Nehemiah is. He's one of those kind of people. By the way, Jesus was never the number one. Jesus didn't even have his own ministry. If he looked at the business card of Jesus, he would probably say, Father and Son Ministries. <laughs> or Father's Ministry, I, I'm the son, I'm the, you know, doing my dad's job kind of thing. There's a, a great honor uh, of being an advisor and this is who Nehemiah is, and it comes from character. And the second thing I just want to point out is if you remember when he comes to Jerusalem, the people at the beginning are not so sure that this is good to have an emissary. They've had people sent before, 
and it turns out they're takers, not givers. They have been taking all the benefits of being sent by the king to be the temporary governor, to be the steward of the land, whatever those kind of things are. And Nehemiah, the Bible says, never took anything, even though he was given daily rations and allowed to have a take from the treasury, as it were, he said no to that all the way through his life. That's a, that's a mark of a good leader, that you know that you've got rights, but you defer to other people. You're not, you're not selfish. One of the things that I tried to instill in our leaders at our church, uh, our pastoral team, is that a leader can never make a decision that benefits the leader. That's just wrong in my mind. Where the leader is there to serve, the leader is there to give, the leader is there to set an example. And selfishness is not one of the God qualities, friends. Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave, not took, gave. And so Nehemiah is one of these guys that when he arrives, he's different than the other people. He's different than the other leaders that they've had who've been making money off of misery, making money off of uh, a terrible situation. That's not Nehemiah. Nehemiah shows up, and it would appear that he's got some private wealth that he's able to give, and he gives, and he leads, and he inspires people to do things that they never wanted to do before, didn't have the capacity to do before. And he causes a breakthrough for the city of Jerusalem. I'm fascinated by this guy. When I get to heaven, he's going to be one of the guys I sit down and have coffee with. Just hear a little bit more of his story. God uses people like that. So I'd like everyone to stand, including clergy, because we're going to pray about integrity. How do you get more integrity, people? Number one, become a follower of Jesus. So if you're in the room, you're not a follower of Jesus, that's going to help you right away. Because when you're a follower of Jesus, God's on the inside of you and can begin to speak to you and help you in different areas. Another way to get good integrity, marry someone. Have a spouse that loves you and is going to be critical of you. Stop doing that. How many have passed that test? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was mostly men, said. It was fascinating. Mostly men, the ladies are going, no, he's, he's not that good at helping me. <laughs> so this is one of the benefits of being married, friends, is that there's someone to care for your back and to provoke you. And the, neg the negative thing of me being British, I don't know if I, you, you remembered that, my mom was born in, in Luster, my dad's family come from Sunderland. Uh, Sandra's dad's family come from West Bromwich. Uh, did someone just boo or yay? <laughs> uh, the negative of being British is that I'm always right. <laughs> It, it's a humbling thing when your wife says, you know, like, you're, you were pretty arrogant today in that, in that conversation. You were pretty, you know, there was, it, you didn't tell the full truth today in that conversation. You made it look like you're better than you really are. Uh, having, if you're not married, having a, a best friend, a roommate to call you out, that's, that you need to seek these kind of things, friends. Put yourself in a position to be vulnerable and have people speak into your life. Number three thing is if you're not in a small group in a KFC, I'm trying to figure out, but KFC to me is chicken. <laughs> I think if we advertised our groups as um, belong to KFC, anyways, it's just interesting. But when you're in a small group, friends, hopefully in a small group, your character is going to be called out from time to time, of people who are caring about you. And when you get to the place by being vulnerable in a small group and sharing your story, that's when people are going to start speaking into your life. So get good at being vulnerable. Those of you that show up in your group and you got it all together, why would they pray for you? Who gets prayer in a group? The vulnerable. The people who open up. So do that. And you'll begin to find that God's wisdom comes from other people to help you become a better person. How many would like that? All right, let's pray. So, Daddy, here we are. People that are on a journey. And, Father, we're recognizing that as we mature in Jesus, that it's not just about me. 
but as I become a better person, my colleagues are influenced, my kids are influenced, my parents are influenced, my roommates are influenced, my class, my school. When I become more godly, when I become a better character, there's a ripple. And Father, thank you that as I go up the, the ladder, as it were, of influence in my company, in my organization, in my school, that ripple actually gets to be a bigger ripple. The higher a stone is dropped from, the bigger the splash. And so, Father, I'm asking that you would bless these men and women. You'd provoke them in areas of their life that don't align to the scriptures. Father, I want to bless these men and women that as they open their scriptures, that you would speak to them and say something like, we'll see here how that person made this decision and made this decision. And for those of you in business, may the Bible become a guide for you in character and decision-making. Bless you that those of you that own your own company, that the book of Proverbs becomes uh, neat to you, becomes your, your go-to passage. Well, what would Solomon have done? What did Solomon say about this? And may you be led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you minister to each of us? May we be led by your Spirit in every aspect of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. While you're standing, if you own your own business, uh, or have owned your own business, or hope to own your own business, start something, even if it's just you and Jesus. Hands up real high. Keep your hands up. Everyone else, put your hand, find one of these people, lay hands on them. Look at that. A lot of hands up. So those of you who don't have your hand up, start walking around. I'd like you just to pray for these people. Keep your hand in the air, friends. Just move around, friends. Just pray for them. Ask the blessing of God. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that every one of these people who has their hand up would know that they're called. This is a calling that you've given to them. This is a desire that you put in their heart to start something, to be a blessing. Yes, to make money. Yes, to have added income. Yes, hopefully, to be successful so that you can hire two or three other people and be a blessing to them. Yes, potentially, that you can have a legacy to pass on, a business to pass on to your kids and your grandkids. Yes, to make a difference in the economy of your town, your community. Yes, to make a difference in integrity. Yes, to have a voice that once you become uh, good at what you do, that you're sought out by others and you become consultants and advisors, either formal or informally. Yes, to being led by the Spirit for these people, Father. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you're with, you're with us. Father, bless these men and women. Put it in your, in their hearts to have your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Sandy, do you want to go straight in? Do you want the band up?